an unexpected story out of the so-called hot labor summer. Strippers united will never be divided. Binge all four episodes of Imperfect Paradise Strippers Union wherever you get your podcasts. Studios. Hooray for Hollywood. That screwy valley hooey Hollywood. Welcome, everybody. This is Retake. I'm John Horn. They say many things about Hollywood, place where dreams are made and dreams are broken. But high above it all, there's the Hollywood sign. Originally, it was an ad to promote a housing development called Hollywoodland. The sign, built in 1923, is an icon unto itself, recognizable across the globe. It's also part of a new TV series called Iconic America. I'll be discussing it with its creators and participants. And later, keeping with that Hollywood vibe, my recommendations for great films celebrating or making fun of the movie business. But first, it's time for my weekly entertainment news chat with LAS 89.3 Morning Edition host, Suzanne Watley. Morning, John. Good morning to you. I know you want to talk about The Little Mermaid, that new Disney remake of its animated classic, and how Chinese state media have attacked the film for its casting of a black performer as Ariel. But first, you have some news about the Writers Guild of America strike, which is now one month old. What's the latest? One month old. Let's focus on that for a minute. I mean, there's no signs of negotiations resuming. Um, You and I have talked for many months about the ridiculous amounts of money that Hollywood's top executives are paid by what I'll call sycophantic boards of directors. Mm -hmm. The worst offender, to my mind, David Zaslav, the head of Warner Brothers Discovery, he has pocketed almost $286 million over the past two years. Early today, I got up my calculator and did the math, and it worked out to Zaslav earning. I'm going to put air quotes around earning because that's not the right word. More than half a million dollars each and every day over those two years. All the while, Warner's stock price has been in a catastrophic freefall, and Zasloff has been firing thousands of workers to save money. But this is the important part. Warner is a member of the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, which has told the Writers Guild of America it doesn't have enough money to pay screenwriters for what they are seeking. And the Writers Guild of America is starting to make the same conclusion. Uh, Well, maybe they've been listening to some of our chats. Oh, how could they not be? But uh, the Writers Guild has been picketing at studio gates, and now they're going after the pay packages of the people who run those studios. The Guild started with two companies whose annual meetings are coming up. So WGA President Meredith Steam wrote to shareholders of both Netflix and Comcast, which is the parent of NBC Universal, asking them to vote against approval compensation for its leaders in upcoming shareholder meetings. The top executives at Comcast made $130 million last year, while the top Netflix executives pocketed $166 million. So Meredith's team wrote to Netflix, quote, shareholders should send a message to Netflix that if the company could afford to spend $166 million on executive compensation last year, it can afford to pay the estimated $68 million per year that writers are asking for in contract improvements. Uh, the Writers Guild estimated the cost of the new contract to Comcast at $34 million. 
I'm speaking with our arts and entertainment reporter, John Horn. And shifting gears, John, the mostly live-action Little Mermaid remake of the 1989 animated classic opened over the weekend. How did that Disney offering do at the box office, and what's the controversy? It did really well in domestic theaters. I think the highest, most optimistic projection was $120 million over the four-day Memorial Day weekend. It did very close to that, so a great opening domestically. China is the world's most important movie market outside of North America. The movie did a fraction of what what it was expected to do there, just two and a half million dollars. And part of the reason why is that uh, state media in China uh, went after the film for Disney's casting of the black performer Halle Bailey as Ariel. And uh, one newspaper, Global Times, said of that casting, uh, it's lazy and irresponsible storytelling strategy. So I don't know how much the state media influenced moviegoers, but they didn't show up for Little Mermaid, which is really sad that a country would go after the casting of a black performer. Uh, Even the poster for Little Mermaid in China makes it look like she's blue, not even black. So there's progress for you. And you've seen the movie. How is it? It's, It's pretty good. I mean, it is not a masterpiece, but it does fix some of the Real problems in the original film. There are some lyrics in uh, Kiss the Girl from the original. It don't take a word, not a single word. Go on and kiss the girl. I guess the song could be retitled No Consent. (laughs) And then there's a song from Ursula when she's kind of casting a spell on Ariel where she tells Ariel that men up on the surface don't want somebody who's going to talk. They just want somebody who looks good and gets out of the way. So those lyrics are gone. It is a very diverse cast. Um, There's some new songs, one of which is good, one of which by... Manuel Miranda Scuttlebutt is not so good. I took my wife and her mom. We all had a good time. Appreciate you dropping by this morning. My pleasure. See you next week. After the break, one of the most recognizable icons in all of Hollywood and maybe the biggest too, the Hollywood sign. Imagine if you could charge your electric vehicle at the places you already love to eat, shop, and play. Whether you're at the movies, on your weekly grocery trip, or running errands at your local mall, Volta EV charging stations are built around your day-to-day and located in your community and nationwide. All you have to do is check in, plug in, and go about your day. It's EV charging made convenient. Download the Volta app to find your new favorite place to charge. I didn't get invited to the birthday party, and you probably didn't either, but the Hollywood sign turned 100 years old this year, and it is being celebrated in an episode of the PBS series, Iconic America, The Hollywood Sign. I moderated a screening of the documentary by PBS SoCal and KCET at the Directors Guild of America. I talked to actor-host Melissa Rivers, sociologist Nancy Wong-Yoon, vintage L.A. creator Allison Martino, and the series producer Maro Chermayev. Here's some of that lively conversation. Maro, I want to ask you, when you start thinking about how you're going to tell the story of the Hollywood sign, you can tell many different stories. What were your creative decisions as you went along, and how much was it influenced by the people that you ended up talking to along the way? Um... Well, you've all, you always listen to the subjects um, when you find them and your, and your directions change. But the concept that we wanted to talk about um, Hollywood 
light and dark, as we as we refer to it, was always there from the very beginning. We knew we wanted to talk about real estate and how the city had changed because it wasn't initially a, a, a real estate venture and a real estate sign, but that it came to mean all these other things, but that these all these other things, as Hollywood itself, aren't quite what they seem, <laughs> was always uh, in the conversation. Allison, I want to ask you about that idea of state of mind and how it plays out in your life with people that you are dealing with, because it's very hard to define. As Kim Masters says early uh, in the in the movie, like Hollywood is not really it's not a thing, it's not a place, but it is an idea. And I'm curious about how that idea plays itself out in your work. Well, growing up here, it's sort of all I knew. I really identified with what Melissa said is at the end of the day, you're sort of defined by your level of success. And I was lucky enough to get into the TV business pretty early out of school. And it was always about what latest show are you working on and what's next? You know, no matter how successful your show may have been, it was always about what you're doing next. So I really, I really related to that. And there's just so much change for me as far as architecture goes too. But the Hollywood sign remains, right? Oh, and by the way, I brought a little bit of the Hollywood sign. Oh, wow. This is, <laughs> this is just a little piece of the Hollywood sign when it was, you know, when it was fixed up by Hugh Hefner and Alice Cooper also. Oh, had a that's, hand part, in, wait, that's in, part uh, of the quiz. That yeah, you, you sorry. You the gun oh, well. here. <laughs> uh, spoiler, pretend well, you didn't what hear I do. that. Okay. But there were, it was not just Hugh Hefner and Arnold Schwarzenegger who helped raise money or gave money uh, for the restoration of the sign. Alice Cooper, you heard, right. <laughs> uh, but he gave it, you can't say anything, on behalf of a comedian, first, anybody have a guess? First name Groucho. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, there was an actor who also gave to the sign, first name Gene. There you go, mm -hmm. Gene Autry. Another singer, first name Andy. There you go. Alice Cooper, Gene Autry, Andy Williams on behalf of Groucho Marx. And I, I believe they funded by the letters, did they not? Oh, they, did they yes, really? Yes. Okay. Let's talk about the letters. Uh, Hollywood <laughs> land. Uh, many years ago, maybe 20 plus, I was working at a magazine called Premier Magazine. Anybody remember Premier yeah. Magazine? Yes. Um, anyway, when I, I came to the magazine, I think in the late 90s, there was a column called Hollywood land. And it was a collection of columns about the industry. And as soon as I got there... Somebody from Hollywoodland called the magazine and said, you can't use that name. We didn't have very good lawyers, so we said, okay, and we changed it. I don't know to what. Hollywoodland somehow exists as an entity. Is it part of the signed trust? What is it now? Because there was somebody back in the 90s who was saying you can't use it. Is there an entity now that controls Hollywoodland or the Hollywood sign? Who do you have to talk to? You have to talk to the Chamber of Commerce. Okay. And what are the rules? Oh, cash. It's all, it's what? All about, it's all about money in Hollywood. Um, you you know, there there's there's definitely a, a list of requirements and permissions and context and how you're going to, you know, what the story you're going to tell. I mean, we had the great good fortune, almost not knowing this when we made the decision, 
that we're coming to the 100th anniversary. So there was um, an excitement that PBS was going to give this this real estate and tell this story. So uh, we're probably pretty lucky because I think they can be quite picky. Absolutely. <laughs> when picky? I, was, I wanted to say, when I was working at Mr. Uh, do you remember Mysteries and Scandals and True Hollywood Stories at E? So I was producing that and every show that we opened with showed the Hollywood sign. But these were the stories of Fatty Arbuckle and, and Peg Entwistle. And it was okay to show it till one day we got a call from the Chamber of Commerce and said, uh-uh, that doesn't show Hollywood in a good light. And we had to start, we had to pay an agent. We had to pay an, an, a ghost agent. Who was he? A fee to show it's, the Hollywood side. And it's called fair a, use. You didn't yeah. have good lawyers. Yeah. Um, there's a discussion about how Hollywood itself is portrayed in the movies and movies that kind of get it right and movies that don't. Are there some movies that come to mind from your experience about really capturing what it means to be in the city? Well, I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood 37 times in the theater. Okay, that's a lot. <laughs> um, I thought that really depicted the late 60s perfectly because I've seen it done really corny and really cheesy, kind of making characters out of people looking like they're wearing Halloween costumes. I'm not saying they're going for the Austin Powers look, but to me, production on that was another level having Quentin take back the streets and make them look exactly like they did in 1969. That is raised the bar entirely. Nancy? I actually have something to say. I thought of that movie, but I was going to say that it did a horrible job. Uh -oh. Uh -oh. <laughs> I mean, not of depicting Hollywood. And the Bruce Lee part, But yes. the Bruce yeah. Lee yeah. part where Bruce yeah. Lee fights... Um, Oh, uh, what is Brad Pitt? Brad, Brad Pitt, thank you. Who uh, won? Cliff Booth. You're the only person who's forgotten That's Brad right. Pitt. That's right. I have forgotten Brad Pitt. This is my, my uh We all should. <laughs> but he he got he got his first best supporting actor and um and you know, Shannon Lee, Bruce Lee's daughter, spoke out against right. the portrayal because Bruce Lee kind of lost or you know tied or whatever with Brad Pitt's character and I remember I was actually watching it in the theater and I said out loud that's not possible <laughs> it's definitely not possible that was you I was that <laughs> right it resonated through all the theaters in, in the entire world um, but I just I just felt like it was it was a reimagining right and right. I felt like they were building up Brad Pitt's character at the expense of an Asian American icon Right? Why put him down? And it was it was really painful to watch. But you know, with the Hollywood aside, I thought that was just a really and much like horrible. Hollywood, it has a bit of a, a bit of well, a happy. I, ending. I was going to say that it the, does have a good ending. The movies that resonate for me are sort of bits and pieces, like in Swingers, right? And everybody has to take their own car. <laughs> That's very L.A. Steve Martin's L.A. story right. with the traffic yep. and the signs talking to you. And obviously, I love all the movies, like you know. LA confidential and all those but for me it's more of those little cultural bon mots if you will of like that scene when singers everyone's taking their own car that's LA I think all of you watched you've obviously seen the movie many times all of you watched yeah, it tonight a good, a good right? five or six hundred times and I'm wondering outside of the sign itself what you were reflecting on and watching the documentary about Hollywood writ large because the sign as the documentary makes clear is is both a physical thing and a conceptual thing. I'm curious, what were your thoughts watching the documentary about Hollywood as an idea? I'll start with you because you're closest. Lucky me. Um, what I found, what, what, what I think I hung on to after watching this is the whole idea of co-opting the dream. Hollywood, Bollywood, and I never really sort of thought of that, but it's true. It's It's 
it's it's a dream it's a notion it's a hope it's a something that's aspirational to people this and it's really the famous success and all the things that everyone believes that working in the entertainment business is and then they become a part of it and become really disillusioned really fast that it is actually a business but i think for me that i'm going to walk away with is, is the idea of co-opting the word or part of the word to represent this this dream right nancy well for me um i think hollywood and america i think just kind of synonymously with whiteness right. right if we look at the classic hollywood it is so uniform right even though there were actually actors of color working at that time and so i think my whole kind of research and life has been uh co-opting or re reimagining hollywood as inclusive Right, and that if Hollywood is to represent the American dream, the United States is diverse, and we need to think about how those images of Hollywood and the dream, you know, we need to kind of deconstruct that and 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 interrogate it. Thank yes, you. I. Yeah. It has an incredible impact on how just one line of dialogue can be lodged into a yep. consciousness in a horrible way. Allison, what about you? Uh, watching the beginning, I, I hope that people continue to go to the movies. I think that's, you know, when I see the theaters closing down, and I know we have Amazon and Netflix, and we all want to be home and watching TV and seeing the opening and seeing Netflix on the map and Amazon on the map, and I know it's, it's, it's a big TV business now, too, is I just hope that I grew up going to the movies. I love going to the movies. I love the idea of movies, and I just hope we all continue to go to the movies. It's nice to be in a theater yeah. with all of you right now. Well, I think it was an important, it was an important part of the story, too, mm -hmm. was that we are... You know, it is a business that's changing. It's changing for the people who are in that business. Um, it is becoming more diverse. That's really important. Um, uh, my daughter was um, Chinese, and it was really interesting when she watched the film for the first time, and she said, oh, my God, someone was said that to me when I was on the street the other day. They said, me love you a long time. She said, I never knew what it was until I didn't know what they were saying. And she and she she literally learned it in that moment watching you talk about it, and I thought it's so critical that people understand the influence that movies, and watching these idols and watching people on the screens or having these fantasies about what people's lives are like and what they're not, and and the diversity and the and the change in the business is definitely painful for some people. But it's really critical, and it's not just critical in this movie business. It's critical across the universe. I'm going to ask, as, as the filmmaker, what you went into thinking about the sign and how those thoughts or preconceptions were changed in the making of the film. I think my preconceptions were changed. I mean, I'm always fascinated that it's the one symbol that is the word and that had no intention to be that. You know, if you think about the Statue of Liberty and the gift from France, and you can watch all the other episodes and you'll find out all these other interesting stories. But this wasn't meant to be that. And that's sort of the Hollywood story. It's like a story that's created a story. And to me, that's that's part of this. So, So I think that... You know, I wasn't I wasn't too surprised, but I don't think I understood how meaningful the sign is to people. I will say I was really struck by Brian Lord's story. Brian runs yeah. CIA or I guess, you know, co-runs it. But the fact that he was 
he read the Sam Cohn profile in The New Yorker, but that he came to Hollywood for the same reason so many actors do, that he ha loved the idea of Hollywood. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, he's a very successful agent, but that he was motivated just the way other people. It wasn't fame. It was this idea of this dream factory, I think, that brought him to town. I mean, if we want to go deep on this, the concept of Hollywood is simply a construct right. of you know the dream, the this, fame, beauty, all these different things, and it's really just again, a construct that was created by publicists at the studios. So if we want to drill it down to its most shallow, <laughs> shallow meaning, it's an ad. And it started out as an ad, yep. and it's still an ad. You can watch Iconic America now on PBS. After the break, more Hollywood storytelling, my recommendations for really good movies about the industry, both for better and for worse. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. With a handful of major shows ending, I heard about this series, Succession, coming to an end. Maybe you are wondering what you should watch this weekend. Well, in the theme of celebrating the town that makes the movies, here are some of my recommendations. You have to start with a player. 1992's film by director Robert Altman, based on the novel of the same name by Michael Tolkien, who also wrote the screenplay. It is the best movie ever about Hollywood. It's a TV star, and she goes on safari like a to Africa. Mills, You're talking about a TV star and a motion picture? No, 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 not a real TV star. It would be played a by a star movie star. star. A movie star Nicole playing a television Julia, star Julia, in a movie star. Right. Right. Dolly Parton Lily, would be good. Right. Dolly. I, you know, I, Dolly, yeah. Yeah. I like Goldie. I like Goldie. Goldie. Okay. Great. Goldie we have a relationship, and that would be great. Goldie goes to Africa. Goldie goes to Africa. She becomes worshipped. Well, she's failed by this tribe of small people. Then she has she's to failed go by this tribe, and they worship her. But so, then, oh, okay, I see. It's a kind of like a gods must be crazy, except the Coke bottle's now a television actress. Yeah, it's exactly That's right. It's out of Africa meets Pretty Woman. Then I'd recommend The Stuntman. It came out in 1980, directed by Richard Rush. The screenplays by Rush and Lawrence Marcus, based on the novel by Paul Brodeur, stars Peter O'Toole, and a great performance by Steve Railsback. Who had the audacity to put palm trees there? They will be in every shot. And what are palm trees doing waving around on a battlefield in Europe during the First World War? Answer me that. The Coen brothers have made a lot of great films. No Country for Old Men, probably my favorite, but their film about the movie business is 1991's Barton Fink. It stars John Turturro here with Tony Shalhoub. I, I, I don't understand. Death, he likes you. He's taking an interest. What the hell did you say to him? I didn't say anything. Well, he's taking an interest. That means he'll make your life hell, which I could care less about. But since I drew the short straw to supervise this turkey, he's going to be all over me too. Fat ass son of a bitch. Called me yesterday to ask me how it's going. <laughs> don't worry, I covered for you. I told him you were making progress. We were all very excited. I told him it was great. Understand that? So now my ass is on the line. 
This movie probably shouldn't have worked, but it does. 2008's Tropic Thunder, directed by Ben Stiller, who co-wrote it with Justin Thoreau and Eaton Cohen, not Ethan Cohen, Eaton Cohen, stars Ben Stiller, Jack Black, Tom Cruise, Matthew McConaughey, and I would argue the performance of his career, Robert Downey Jr. I'm not going to sugarcoat it, Tug. You are a huge star. All right, but right now... You're like that kid on the playground, you know, the one, the one who has lice that none of the other kids want to play with. What do you mean? No, I mean, we got to shave your head and get you back on the monkey bars, right? What? What? How, how'd the crying scene go? Horrible. Lazarus started crying. I mean, he starts drooling and dribbling and he wasn't even in the Whoa, hey, hey, stop right there. Right, you got to buck up here, tugboat. Who cares how much more talented he may be than you? If he cries, you cry harder, man. Didn't your dog have, like, leukemia or something when you were a kid? I mean, think of that. Boom. End of story. And 1999's Bowfinger about the lengths that some people will go to to try to get a movie made. It was written by Steve Martin, who stars opposite Eddie Murphy, directed by Frank Oz. Damn it, Hal! I'm the biggest black action star in the world! Kid. Where's my hostile Vista, baby? Well, what are you talking about? My hostile Vista! Look, if Arnold Schwarzenegger is getting to say lines like that, you better make sure the kick Ramsey has shit that's equally well written. Look, look, the script has that moment. When? Yeah. You say, I enjoy meeting you, Cliff, then you push the guy right over the cliff. It's too much for the audience to have to think about. They have to know that the guy's name is Cliff, and that he's on the cliff, and that a cliff and a cliff is the same. It's too cerebral! We're trying to make a movie here, not a film! Damn, this fool's gonna age you, huh? As always, thank you so much for listening to Retake. I'm John Horn. Retake is produced and engineered by Michael Cosentino, Monica Bushman, and Taylor Kaufman, who is also my session director. The editor is Suzanne Levy. Listeners like you help make Retake possible, so please donate now at elias.com forward slash join, and thanks. Support for this podcast is made possible by Gordon and Donna Crawford, who believe that quality journalism makes Los Angeles a better place to live. LAS Studios operates within the homelands of the Gabrielino Tongva people. We recognize the painful history of displacement, settler colonialism, and erasure of the people, their language, and their sovereignty. Visit LAS.com slash land for more information. We encourage you to get curious about the land on which you live and work. Hey. It's Brian, the host of the How to LA podcast. How about we go to the movies? Join us for a 10-part series, Revival House, and discover the magic of LA's indie theaters. Who knows? You might meet someone. I know it sounds antithetical because you're just sitting passively, but in fact, you're connecting with everyone else around you. Subscribe to How to LA from LA Studios wherever you listen to podcasts.